Hello, everybody. I'm Ron Waxman. Uh, this is the COVID-19 series at CRT Online. And my guest today is Dr. Jonathan Reiner, the director of the CATLAB at GW, also in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Ron. And you uh, have a very interesting career. Other than being a cardiologist, you also have been uh, advised to the White House at the time of uh, President Bush and um, Vice President Cheney, and you have been uh, interacted uh, also uh, with uh, the media in, as a commenting on different uh, situations, including the COVID-19. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, is, do you need any special skills to do that? Uh, how, how actually you get into uh, such a position to becoming a commentator for uh, the media. We see here that uh, in the same evening I see you, then I see Dr. Eric Topol, then I see uh, uh, Ramin uh, Osqui, uh, three cardiologists, all of them like in the media. So what's going on here with cardiologists in the in the media commenting on, on COVID-19? Yeah, well, we also see uh, infectious disease docs and epidemiologists and uh, and some internists. I I think that you know there's really a big role for people who can explain complicated topics to the general public. And you know during during this process, I've thought that that's really uh, the most essential thing I could do is to try and um, explain very complicated topics in very digestible bites. And when, when you're doing these, these segments on, on television, you only have about two minutes. Uh, typically you get maybe two or three questions and you, you can't spend a long time sort of wandering around and formulating an answer. You need to be able to explain something that's pretty complicated very quickly and, and give people uh, the take-home message. It's kind of like, it would be, the, it's a kind of akin to doing an abstract but instead of having 10 or 15 minutes, you have two minutes. And maybe that's something going forward that we should look at because what it forces you to do is get right down to business. Tell, tell us what we need to know. Tell us how we got here. Tell us what the story is. Tell us where we're going. So uh, I've been, it's an interesting challenge. And I think cardiologists are particularly uh, appropriate for this because Remember, we are the specialty that really has pushed evidence-based medicine with randomized clinical trials forward over the last 30 to 40 years. We, are, we, are, we, we have been at the forefront of that. So I think that you know, those of us who, who have been involved in some way in this, and either as clinical trialists or basic scientists or, or simply avid consumers of the data, we have the ability to help distill this kind of information, uh, explain it, interpret it, um, audit it uh, in a way so that the public can understand what's, what's real because they're getting competing, a lot of competing signals. Um, at sort of the, the 50,000 foot level, I, I feel that, you know, we doctors should be simply the truth tellers. You know, there's so much spin Polit everything is politicized. You, no one would think that a pandemic could be politicized. Uh, doctors shouldn't be shouldn't be political. I I may I may have pretty well 
uh, and I do have pretty well formed uh, political views, but politics has no place in interpreting science. Science is just science. Um, and there should be no spin. Either, either the data supports something or the data doesn't support something. And we should be able to call that out. So I think that, you know, physicians are, are certainly capable of doing that. I don't think that um, there's necessarily any requirement, um, you know, to be an epidemiologist. There are some fabulous epidemiologists that, that have, um, that have uh, found a, a very loud voice in this, people like Ashish Cha uh, from, from Harvard, um, and then uh, infectious disease people like Peter Hotez, my old colleague here at GW, who's been at Baylor for the last decade. You know, there, are, um, there are all kinds of varied uh, voices. We hear uh, 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 emergency room docs, um, uh, some super emergency room docs around the country. So I think this gives a very sort of a, a varied um, kind of approach to interpreting the data, and it's uh, it it's an in, it's an interesting time, and it's been challenging and fun to do. You mentioned the science, and you mentioned social politics, and trying to politicize the data and the science, and we do know that. Um, as a matter of fact, President Obama, when he came to CRT, he said, you know, you open one channel, uh, you see one thing, you open the other channel, you see another thing, you think you're living in two different countries. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the question is, uh, at what uh, aspect or, or at what level do you think that the uh, anchors uh, would use the experts? And I'm just asking as a generic, basically, uh, to have their view, because uh, again, those uh, networks that have one position and they want to stress one aspect, uh, in, in what way they can use the commentator to support their thoughts, which is sometimes more political than just pure news? Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that can happen, and I think when you when you look at cable television. Um, there's the there's the far right and there's the far left. Um, I hope there's a place in the middle. Um, and I, I think people can fall into the trap. Docs can fall into the trap of of allowing themselves to be uh, politicized. Uh, I've tried not to do that. I'll give you an example. There was um, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, when it was disclosed that the president had been exposed, probably had multiple exposures to the virus through his valet and also through the um, press secretary for the, for the, for the vice president. Uh, a few days later, it was disclosed that the president was taking hydroxychloroquine as a post-exposure prophylaxis. And I did a piece and I think I surprised um, people when I said, you know, I'm not willing to, you know, I can't really slam the president's physician for this. I know there's no data for it. And, and now two, three weeks later, there's even less data for it. Uh, but put yourself in the president doc's position. You know, he has this unique patient who's been exposed to the virus. Uh, we don't know for sure that the 
at the time, he didn't know for sure that the, the drug didn't work. Uh, and he had the unique uh, capacity to mitigate the risk, a uh, potential risk by doing uh, almost certainly daily EKGs on the present, measuring the pres presence QTC every single day. So uh, what I said was, I'm not so sure if I, I mean, I understand why the president's doc did this, and I'm not so sure necessarily that if I were in his position, I might not have done the same thing. And that's, that was surprising to them that I said that because I had been very, very vocal in opposition to just the public using hydroxychloroquine without any data to support its efficacy. Uh, but I think that's the role of, of uh, a physician commentator, a physician, um, 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 a medical analyst is, is to be real about it. And I, f I feel like I, that was an instance where I, I thought I was being really genuine about it. Um, acknowledging how really nuanced the situation was and how it would be, it would have been easy, super easy to slam the president's position for basically prescribing this unproven completely without data approach for the, of all people, the president of the United States. But sometimes when, 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 when you really look at it, it's, it's not that, it's not that simple. So I, I've tried to do that. And I think there's, I think there's a role for that. On the other hand, I've also tried to call out uh, things when I, when it might be politically incorrect to say things or when, when the official word was obviously nonsense. I'd like to, uh, you know, I, everything that you said is so right. I actually was listening to this part and I could feel for the pressure that you had from the commentator uh, about your comments. And actually you gave some more information that people were not aware. Um, you did talk to um, the physician at the White House and probably had some more information that other people right. didn't know. And, and it was very revealing. And, and I think um, you did in a very genuine way uh, because people would expect um, at that point, well, why don't we just criticize the president? There is no data. The data is actually negative, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you step up actually to what you felt about it. But, but what I wanted to go on that specific one, uh, what I felt for you, are you going to be slammed by someone uh, because this was not the expectation that would be the answer? Or they would just say, okay, we understand or we respect your answer? Because that's... No, yeah, to the contrary... Um, what I, what I heard and you know, the feedback I got from that, um, was incredibly positive because what I, what I, what I was able to show to them, what, what I, the other thing I said that night was it, it, it was easy to talk about the data. Okay. There's no data to support hydroxychloroquine in that use and be easy to come down on, on the, and, and really hammer the physician for the, to the president for that. But I want you to think of something else I said. Think about how worried they must have been about the president for them to go along with this, right? And, and, and what, this, what this means is that think about how exposed they thought the president was 
about how likely it might have been that he would actually contract the virus from those exposures. And then now think about his risk factors, right? He's over 70, he's obese, he has a little bit of heart disease. So he's a high risk, he's a high risk patient. If you do that math, he might have as much as a 20% chance of dying from the virus. So to me, the bigger story there, having had a peak, you know, when I worked with Vice President Cheney during his time in office is how worried they were about him. And I thought that was the bigger story. The easy story that anyone can do is just to slam them about the hydroxychloroquine. But I thought, I thought the more interesting story was that this means they were obviously very concerned about him. And you made a very good point that the, the president doesn't have the ordinary care for anyone. Uh, he has a special care 24-7, I think, which was also important. The other thing that I found very interesting, um, and it's not that I'm following you systematically, uh, is that... Uh, I'm on a lot, so it's, I'm hard to miss. Yeah, but in, the, in, in a case of, um, you know, there was a negative result of a drug, you said, hey, there are many other drugs. I mean, kind of cheering the audience, don't get depressed. I mean, something will be found. And, and I thought it was very important uh, comment to make, uh, don't lose hope. I mean, something probably will pop up. So I thought that was, uh, uh, but, but I go back to that the issue with the uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, and your comment. What was striking for me is one hour later, Eric Topol was slamming completely the decision and irresponsible. So, now I know two cardiologists that I know very well uh, and two different approaches. And, and I, I was actually was confused. Like, what do you think? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's very easy. It's very easy to, to criticize other docs for, uh, for their decision-making. You know, we see this on Twitter sometimes. You know, you see people throw cases out and then there are people that are very, very, eager or willing to criticize somebody else's management when they're not the person standing at the table or they're not the person talking to the family. And that, that's always bothered me a bit. And I noticed that, you know, back now it's almost 20 years ago um, when I, I first started to, to take care of, of, of the vice president. I noticed that there were a lot of colleagues around the country who were really willing to criticize uh, decisions or care that uh, for, for, of a patient that they know nothing about. So um, I'm, cautious, I'm cautious about doing that. Now this morning on, on, on CNN, uh, I spoke about the president's uh, physical. They released um, really very meager data from his physical yesterday. And I didn't speak so much about his medical uh, status, other than to say that he apparently has very resistant uh, lipids, as his you know his LDL is ninety on on forty of resuvastatin. Um, but what what I spoke about uh, in greater detail was the fact that the president went sort of unannounced on a Saturday afternoon in November to the, to Walter Reed for what they said was testing, you know, part phase one of his annual physical. Never disclosed to the, never disclosed to the public ex exactly why he went to Walter, Walter Reed. Certainly, he didn't need to go there to have his blood drawn. They can do all that at the White House, or even for just a physical, they can do that at the White House. He went to Walter Reed for a reason, which the White House has declined to tell the country. So, 
that I am willing to be critical because I, it, my personal opinion is that I do think the public has a right to know uh, the important elements of the health of, of, the, of their leaders, of people who sit in the highest office. Uh, and I think we certainly have, even more so, have the and, and compelling reason to know that during an election year, when we have to make decisions about who we're, we're going to vote for, and, and we, we factor a lot of things into that. So I spoke about that this morning. Rather than focusing on, you know, his blood pressure is 121 systolic, and you know, should you know, they try and push it under 120? And I didn't really, you know, yeah, you know, I, I think I did mention that one might consider adding a second drug you know, uh, to his lipid, uh, uh, medicine, but, you know, I didn't get into the weeds there because I, you know, I'm not his physician, but I, I think that, you know, when you do this kind of analysis on television, you know, try and hit the big, the bigger picture, right? I'm not going to criticize, you know, oh, so he's using this stat and maybe I would use a different stat. That's not real. That's not really, you know, the question. The question is, is what the White House saying, does it make sense, right? Um, you know, when the whole mask issue came around about the president or when the whole exposure issue came around about the, about the, about the vice president and the president, the point I was trying to make is, look, you need to understand that we're talking about continuity of government. And if both the president and the vice president get the virus, they both can get sick. And if you look at, at how sick you know, Prime Minister Johnson was in, 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 in the UK, uh, you could die from this. And uh, so the, I thought the bigger issue there was not necessarily the fact that, you know, well, I do think it's a big issue that they don't model mask behavior. I do, th I do think that's an important issue, but there's also a practical issue that they can get it. So, I try and focus on that, and I think that's really the role of of a, of a doc. Now, it's it's easy to get caught up in the politics, but on the other hand, um, it's also impossible to ignore the fact that a lot of mistakes have been made in the management of this pandemic. Many, many mistakes. An enormous number of people are dead. And I'm willing to say that. I'm willing to say what those mistakes are. I don't think I, um, political, if, if, I, if I remind people that it took 51 days to test our first 20,000 people in this country, 51 days, it's almost two months. And, or uh, at the end of February, the Surgeon General of the United States was warning the public about buying masks, telling them not to buy masks, right? Or we've wasted all this time, you know, talking about hydroxychloroquine. Right. I, I don't think that reminding people of the mistakes is, is politicizing this. I think it's, it's, it's important to understand what's gone wrong so that when this happens again, and it's definitely going to happen again, that we get it right. Now, the, the next time a virus comes out of, out of China, that we're, we're armed and ready to go. That, we, that we're, we're going to test quickly and we're going to contact trace like crazy and we're going to close down all kinds of air routes and we're ready to go and the public is going to get masked and we're going to have all this PPE ready. I mean, we still don't have enough PPE, right? The country is pivoting, you know, towards opening. They, they want, you know, the president wants their, uh, a 
full convention in August. The virus is still very, very active. So I think it's, that's part of my job is simply to try and try and, and tell the truth. Um, with, with Jonathan, uh, th these yeah. are opinion, right? I mean, because a lot of the time we just don't know the truth and a lot of things that we thought that we knew turn out that they, they are not necessarily true. Uh, you mentioned the hydroxychloroquine. We still don't know. I mean, um, just today, the Lancet and the New England Journal retracted papers that were made in so much news on May 25th, and, and, right. and you're aware to that. And, and it's, this is just one example, uh, but there are some, a lot of things that are confusing, even from um, Anthony Fauci. I mean, one day he said, you don't have to wear a mask, and then, yes, you should wear a mask. Uh, and there's still a lot of question about stay home, not stay home, are we staying home too much, and there are other things. So it's so complicated, and none of us actually knows all the truth. I mean, even the infectious diseases fail with their predictions and with their assumptions uh, to be right all the time. So what makes someone um, who is not even in the field just have a common sense and you have more access to the data to others because you have to. You, you have to comment on those uh, to, the, to the public. But what makes this expertise such, such a certainty that this is the right thing and that one is not the right thing? And, and you hear that's why you hear it also controversy between physicians based on the network that they are commenting to. Yeah, I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. You know, I tried, I tried to only say things that are demonstrably true. Okay, um, I don't. I, I try not to traffic in, in, in spin. Uh, I try to. I try to keep simply to the primary endpoints of a trial. What do we know from a trial? When when that whole series of observational studies pointed away from any efficacy for hydroxychloroquine, I did mention that we'll only know quote, the truth as best we can ever know the truth when we do really well-run randomized clinical trials. And you're right, you, you bring up that the point that the New England Journal observational study as well as the Lancet observational study with the same authors, same author group, that they both, there have been letters of concern and, and multiple authors have actually retracted their participation. But we also have randomized clinical trial data now published yesterday um, from the Minnesota group on post-exposure prophylaxis. I, look, I would love there to be data that shows there's some kind of benefit for hydroxychloroquine, but there's not even a hint. There's not even, there's not even a hint. I think it's a distraction. I think all the ongoing randomized clinical trials should continue. I mean, unless there's, unless DSMB finds reason to stop them because then we can finally put these issues to rest. But there's been a lot of, excitement about a drug where there's been no signal there's been no clinical there's been no meaningful study or even observational study with a meaningful signal for in favor of hydroxychloroquine uh it's possible that the 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 uh, signal for harm has been exaggerated perhaps in these papers and we'll have to look at that uh, certainly our rheumatology colleagues feel that the cardiologists who have been raising alarms about hydroxychloroquine are, have been overstating this because they've been using these drugs for decades and they feel like these drugs are perfectly safe. Um, but we'll know that from the, from the rest of the randomized clinical trials. So 
there, there does not appear to be a safe, an efficacy signal in sick hospitalized patients. This randomized clinical trial now of patients post-exposure prophylaxis is... It has a lot of limitations. I mean, yeah, but should, and then and then the other setting obviously would be pre-exposure, and maybe it works in pre-exposure. So we'll have to see. There's that's that's obviously another venue for ongoing, but to me that's been a distraction. And if indeed we have we have the data, we have the data to prove that it helps, then we should move forward with that. But the more the much more simple measures that I've been trying to get through almost night after night is wear a mask. We know that masking works. That's how, that's how countries like China and Taiwan, for years they were Korea, that's how, that's how they put this virus down with, with rigorous contact tracing, with massive testing. We still don't have, haven't done enough testing. We've tested about 4% of this country. So, and Jonathan, uh, we see all those riots. Um, most people wear masks, but a lot of people don't wear masks. There is no social distancing. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that in two weeks we're going to see an uptick of COVID-19 patients? If, you know, we had it in D.C., we had it in New York, is that going to come back or, or we're not going to see it? I'm worried about it. Uh, there, it. there are a lot of pieces to this, though. Um, I was asked about this last night. So, on the one hand, the protests and you know, demonstrations are outside. So that's beneficial. That They're not happening in closed rooms. They're not happening in auditoriums or in churches. I mean, I think if you had that kind of a mass demonstration inside a church, everyone would have it. Uh, but um, outside, that mitigates the risk a little bit. But I am worried about the lack of mask wearing for not just on the part of the demonstrators, a lot of the demonstrators are wearing masks, but a lot of the public safety people, the police and the, you know, the troops, the national guard, a lot of, of those, know. you know, responders are not wearing masks and they're face to face with screaming protesters. And this is happening in the context of a pandemic. So if you wanted to paint a picture of how do you, how do you get another spike? You'd put thousands of people, you know, elbow to elbow, in a very, very small uh, space, and you would you know, have half the people or, or people that they're facing off with not wear a mask. So I'm worried about it, we'll see. You know, the, uh, so obviously the uh, incubation period is five to seven days. So I, I think we'll start to get a sense next week. I think if there is a spike in hospitalizations or spike in, 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 in numbers of cases, I hope not, it's possible. Uh, there's some theoretical risk people have, have spoken about what's the risk for tear gas so th there are some papers that have been written that suggest that in inhaling either pepper spray or, or tear gas makes you more prone to get respiratory infections going forward like um bronchitis uh so people are are, are wondering whether this is going to change somehow your susceptibility to covid19 but simply the act of causing people to gasp and to cough and to rub their eyes when, when the irritants get in their eyes, you know, make, makes you, makes you wonder whether that's going to, you know, uh, add, add to the risk. We'll have to see. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, the virus is still rising in parts of the country. If you look at, uh, when I, when I 
I ran the numbers last night, like 17 states, the, the caseloads were still going up. And it's, and it's, I find it hard to understand whether the reason in some states the number of positive cases are rising is, is due to better testing, more testing, or whether it's due to more, you know, a higher prevalence. Um, we should be able to tease that out with understanding what the positivity rates are. But the CDC has commingled antibody tests with the, with the PCR tests, so it's 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 not it's not so easy anymore to understand based simply on the positivity rate if we're moving in the right direction. Um, but I, I think what is safe to say is uh, there's still a long way to go. And it but is the job of the position. Yeah. Mortality is coming down. Uh, CCU beds uh, are being freed. Um, not in Maryland. We, we, both, we both live in Maryland, right? And as of yesterday, 96% of the ICU beds in Maryland were filled yesterday. That was the data yesterday. 96% of ICU beds in, in, in places like Maryland were, fill, were filled. You're right. The place where, and, and, and what really concerns me is that if you, if you drill down and you remove New York from the nation's data and just look at the data without New York, or perhaps maybe without New York and New Jersey, we're really barely coming off a plateau now. So, you know, the country is opening and, uh, you know, I understand we have to open, but we have to do it safely, but we're doing it with the pandemic still uh, in, in many places still raging. And if we start to, to, to lessen our guard, we're going to have a second wave. And what is, if you look at history, if you look at the 1918 pandemic, and it's also important to realize that it was really the 1918 to almost 1921 pandemic. It took almost, it was about two and a half years, that pandemic. The second wave was worse than the first. And I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that. And if you look at the day, you know, Redfield, the uh, CDC, Dr. Redfield, the CDC director, was forced to come back and, and retract some of his words a few weeks ago when he worried out loud that we could have a, a one-two punch in the fall of a second wave of, of COVID-19 coming at a time perhaps of uh, the flu, the seasonal flu. So I'm worried, I'm worried about that too, which is why we have to do everything we can now to learn. We need to learn what therapeutics work. We need to learn what public health measures work. Right? We need to learn how to open society in a safe way. But what maybe the thing that bothers me the most is when I hear about getting back to normal. We're not getting back to normal now. We don't have to get back to normal. We have to get back to a new normal, a safe normal. Uh, we were just talking about, right uh, before I came on with you, you know, we had a, a faculty meeting where we were talking about you know, what, what are the best practices in clinic? What kind of masks do you wear in clinic? How do you screen patients? And that's why we have to apply that same kind of, of thinking to society as a whole. So, um, right. So, so I, I'm, I'm not an infectious disease doc. I'm not, an, I'm not even an, epidemiolo uh, an ep epidemiologist. And I don't, I don't pretend to be that, but I'm a doc. And like you, I'm accustomed to reading clinical trials and understanding how science works and understanding what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So um, 
that's that's simply what I'm what I'm trying to do. And um, I'm also not trying to predict the future. I'm just trying to to help people understand what we know now. Yeah, and we also know both us as cardiologists how many patients are dying because they don't want to come to the hospital. And when you get the people so much at home, they fear to go out of home no matter what. I mean, I think in Maryland and D.C. there's still an issue there. But again, we, we are losing a lot of patients because they don't get in care or they're coming too late. And, um, but but my, my main issue is that uh, there is so much that we don't know. I'm not pretend to know anything, even though I read everything and I think you do the same. Uh, some people feel like they know more, but I think we have to be humble about what we know about it. If, if we would have known everything about this virus uh, from the get-go, probably we would have treated it differently, which would be different if it comes again or the way it's going to come again. We would be prepared. We know better than we ever knew. I mean, that's always different, but but I think we have to be very, very humble in terms of uh, what we know and try to get removed from the politics, either left or right. And, and I think you've been doing it very well. And, and I always feel for you because uh, as the doc who took care of Vice President Cheney, I'm sure you were, as you said, you were under a lot of criticism. And it's very easy to criticize someone who is not really the patient, the, the one who take care of the patient. I mean, it's, it's very easy to throw the things also on those uh, commentators. So you are in a very unique position. And, uh, and I think you gave me a little bit of feel for how do you deal with that, but uh, I'll give you the last word. I mean, how, how are you planning to handle it from now on or, or continue to handle this? Because this is a tough, tough place to put someone, anyone. Uh, again, I'm, I'm just trying to tell the truth. And I'm, I'm also, I am trying to be optimistic. I mean, I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature. Um, and when, when I deal with patients, you know, cardiac arrest survivors, I'm, I'm talking to their families, I'm always trying to paint the picture of how, what is the path for this person to recover? And I'm, and I'm trying to paint that picture for, for the U.S. What is our path to recover? How do we get to recovery? What does that look like? And I think that what we end up hearing, we end up hearing the loudest voices in this country are the people that know the least about it. When we, you know, some of our political leaders who know very little about this, who have irresolvable conflicts of interest, uh, and by that I mean the politics during an election year, um, I, I feel that physicians should be the truth tellers. We are the truth tellers. Anything that we say has to be true. Right? No patient will ever trust you if you tell them something that is demonstrably false. And I think that everyone who goes on, look, I feel, I feel the same way about this as I feel about expert witnesses in, in uh, the medical legal world. Right? And when, when you read, it makes me crazy when I read the deposition of a doc who's clearly just a paid witness, that they're just saying stuff because they're being paid to say it, stuff that makes no sense in reality. And I feel this, the same way about docs on television. You know, I don't, I don't watch a lot of the, the other networks, so I haven't been sort of gauging what, you know, what's going on on Fox. And I'll, and I'll tell you that uh, CNN has uh, never once tried to, you know, point me towards a, a point of view or has ever edited anything that I've, that I've said. Um, they've just given me an opportunity 
as a doc to explain things and, and to tell people, you know, what, what I, what I think the truth is now it's for other people to decide whether they agree with me. And I guess it's for other people to decide whether they think I'm telling the truth. But my, my goal always is simply just to, just to state the facts, explain, explain what the data shows, explain what's happening in, in a easy to understand, but not patronizing way. And, um, you know, I've been grateful for the opportunity. Well, thank you very much for uh, being kidding with us and sharing some of your thoughts and the thought process of uh, being commentator um, on a situations which are very important. And we do know that the overall uh, citizen do care what the physician says for many things, uh, whether it's uh, legal issues, medical issues, they do trust us as physicians because we we really take care of the most important part for them. So. So you're in a very important position. I wish you that you will continue to do the good work that you have done so far and look forward to see you hopefully less. That means that we don't have any medical issues like the pandemic and nothing personal, uh, but uh, stay healthy, stay safe and uh, stay doing good work. My pleasure. Ta-ta.